Bibles to uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. You'll need to turn there. 1 Kings chapter 19 while you're turning there. I, I, all week long I've, I've been thinking about, you know, somebody that I could illustrate feeble-mindedness with. And there's just one name kept coming to my, <laughs> to my mind. <laughs> and I don't want to tell it, but it's, I'll give you the initials of DZ. And, uh, <laughs> I asked Kenny James while ago, I said, does anybody ever call you Kenneth? And he says, only when I'm in trouble. <laughs> he says, only when I'm in trouble. But um, in all honesty, it, uh, I've, as I've read through this thing, and just like the Lord just said, why don't you slow down and really realize what you're reading? And, um, and so I tried to do that. And when we get there in verse number 14, we preach this morning on warning them that are unruly. And then he said the next thing, comfort the feeble-minded. And I want to preach tonight on dealing with feeble-mindedness, dealing with feeble-mindedness. Lord, help us tonight to preach and honor you and honor your word. And Lord, get help from your word. Lord, there may be people here in the building tonight that Lord, nobody else knows it, but they're struggling. And they feel feeble in their mind tonight. And God, across this country, Lord, it's evident to see that there's a lot of feeble-mindedness, Lord. There was this in the Bible days, God, and I'm sure, Lord, it's always been. And God, I pray tonight that you'd help us in this church to comfort the feeble-minded and to always realize, God, it could be us and maybe and probably will be us at some point in our life. So, Lord, I pray tonight that you help us in preaching this message. And Lord, that it might be something to help these folks on their journey. To your name's glory's sake, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> the Bible said there in verse 14, comfort the feeble-minded. I want to preach tonight on dealing with feeble-mindedness from a scriptural viewpoint. In August 1943, World War II was going on very strong. The Seventh Army had uh, invaded Sicily. General Patton was the general. He had 90,000 men under his command and the fighting was brutal. And uh, the Germans were doing all they could do to keep him from going into the European continent on the south side, what was called the underbelly, the soft underbelly of Europe. George Patton was a hard driving general. No substitute for victory, but he was also pretty rough. In August of that year, a lot of his men had went through terrible bombardments. They had seen many of their friends and buddies blown to pieces. And on occasion, he had a habit of going to the field hospital. In June of that year, he went to the field hospital and there was a man sitting out there on on a little cot chair. And he asked him, he said, where are you injured? Why are you here? What happened to you? And the man said, I just can't take it anymore. George Patton had his gloves in his hands, his leather gloves, and he struck the man on the face. He said, you little coward. He he used more words, and he used words I'm not going to use tonight. He said, you're nothing but a coward. He said, get back out on the battlefield. You're not hurt. August came. That that did not receive much attention. August came, and there's a man by the name, I believe, of Kuhl, K-U-H-L, 
And he was there when Patton again visited the hospital. He went inside and as he came by this man, he asked him, he said, well, where, where are you injured at? He said, this is for injured men. And he said, sir, he said, I just can't take it anymore. He said, I'm, I'm just, my mind's gone. He said, I, I just can't handle it. And George Patton not only hit him, but he pulled out his pistol on him and said, you ought to be shot. You're a coward. That became a national uh, deal. Congress dealt with this thing. Eisenhower had to deal with it. And a lot of people in the United States called for the firing and the total uh, stripping of all his, his, his uh, uh, military authority of any kind. Eisenhower uh, did not fire him and said he, we, but, it, but it actually they put him in limbo for about a year and they finally put him back in charge of the Seventh Army as they invaded Germany, and some of you know that story. But, I, but Patton was dealing with some men that were feeble-minded. What does it mean? It means they were weak, they'd been shaken, they'd been damaged, they'd been hurt and wounded, and faced things that took the strength of their mind out. I do not claim not to be any kind of authority on, on this subject, but I want to tell you something as a pastor. There's been times in my life when I've been feeble-minded, and I'm going to show you tonight God dealing with a man who became a very strong man, a very forceful man in the Bible, who became feeble-minded, and how God did exactly what Paul said in this passage of Scripture, how God comforted a feeble-minded man. General Pershing, who was the commander-in-chief of World War I, disowned Patton over that. He said, Patton, you don't know what you're talking about. Unless you've been there where the guts and the blood's been flowing and the heads have been blown off and your buddies are gone and you're 2,000 miles away from home and you're the one that's enduring that, you don't understand that there are injuries that are not physical. And in church life and in life in general, it would be unusual for you and I to go through life without situations occurring that may cause you to be feeble in mind. At you may be sitting here tonight and say, well, I'll never be that way. I'd be careful about saying that. And especially if you get in the ministry or serving the Lord or really get serious about leading your family and the things of God. Because you become a target of Satan. And let me tell you where he'll attack you, in your mind. And if he can make you weak in your mind, he's gonna make you, back, you'll be back at the field hospital if you're not careful. And so shattered and so shaken that they know you have to be removed. <clears throat> My Uncle Dean Rhodes, his children were here yesterday, sung, or Thursday sung at, um, my mother's, our mother's funeral. I sat in Dean's house uh, back when I first started preaching, I was preaching a meeting for him up there, and, and he talked to me about Okinawa. He was in the invasion of Okinawa. The night before they went in, he, he said they lined him up on the ship, had him sign all their wills, and said, one out of three of you are not coming back. Get your wills signed, get your papers in order, because one in three of you are going to die. Dean told me, he said, Reggie, that'll get you thinking about life pretty hard. 
And he said when we went in, and, and it wasn't, at start of it wasn't near as bad as he anticipated it to be, but later on in the island, he said it was worse than we anticipated it to be. And he said, I don't know what happened on other parts of the island, but he said on our part, he said men couldn't hardly take it more than three days. And he said they'd pull you off the line about every third day, bring you back into the real, you know, into a world of some kind of sanity because he said you saw so much death, so much explosions. Uh, he told me, he said, one of the worst things I ever saw was a little Okinawan girl that had been killed. And he said, the only reason I saw her body was in the night going up through a ravine. And he said, the explosions went off. And he said, I could see the gunshot wound in her forehead. And she lay there. And he said, literally, Reggie, I felt like I was on a hell on earth. It was so bad. And he said, I, he said, I just felt God had been calling me in my life to serve him. And I told God, I said, God, if I get out of here and I make it back, I'll serve you. And he did. And he pastored what was then for 50, 50 some years, he pastored the same church. But he said men would literally lose their minds by seeing what they saw. Uh, in chapter eight, 19 of, of 1 Kings, your Bible gives an account of a very strong man by the name of Elijah. Elijah was probably one of the strongest men. I, in fact, when I started preaching and I started reading my Bible a lot, Back at that time, maybe reading 20 chapters a day, Elijah became my favorite guy. I loved Elijah. He could call fire down from heaven, and boy, I tell you what, he, he, was t he told him how it was, and he didn't monkey around. And boy, it just seemed like, boy, that's the spirit of Elijah. And, and I just liked, I've always liked Elijah. But Elijah is a strange character in a lot of ways. As strong as he was, you're going to see a man become feeble-minded. And I want to say something to you tonight as your pastor. My Uncle Dean also told me in that same setting there in his living room, he said, Reggie, I want to tell you something. He said, you're pastoring those people and they're walking in church on Sunday morning. He said, most of the time you don't have a clue what's going on in their life. He said, sometimes they're walking in there, they're going to smile and they're going to say hi to everybody and they're going to act like everything's fine. But he said, Reggie, they may be at the, almost the end of their rope. They're almost ready to break. By the way, I have seen that since then. I've seen people one Sunday I thought was just in great shape, and the next Sunday you found out things are in bad, bad shape. Things can happen in your life that can shake you so much. And then when you get under spiritual attack on your mind, and we like to think, well, I'm strong in the Lord. I know the Bible, and I know God. Yeah, I know. But Elijah did too. But Elijah became feeble-minded. We're going to read about this. And of course, you know the background of the story. In chapter 18, he met with the prophets of Baal up there on, on the Mount Ararat. Or, uh, somebody help me. Carmel. Boy, I've been to camping back Ararat and all this again. Anyway, and they had this meeting. And of course, he prayed and God sent fire down. And then they killed all these prophets of Baal. And man, I mean, this guy... It's unbelievable the endurance, the physical and spiritual and mental endurance this man had. And he goes through this whole thing, these 850 prophets slain, <clears throat> goes up there seven, he prays, you know, seven times on his face and his knees. And then he runs through the rain alongside the chariot of Ahab. And if I remember right, I think that's like 20 some miles from that point to the point they went. Can you imagine? He girded up, remember, and he run 20 miles. When he gets there, after Ahab tells Jezebel what happened, yeah. Jezebel made an oath that she was going to kill him 
and no question about it. This is what you want to watch out for. You can be, you can be living in victory. Yes. You can be on the mountaintop, yeah. but you've exhausted yourself. You've been enduring some things that you don't even really understand yourself, but you've just kind of willed yourself and asked God for grace to keep going and keep going and keep going. And I've seen people when they were in the hospital and children situations and, and it just seemed like you don't know how they're doing it. But let me just tell you something. We do have physical limitations and your physical limitation can affect your spiritual condition and your mental condition. There's a reason that in war, they do what's called propaganda warfare. And they drop leaflets and they tell them, give up, there's no hope. And your, your leaders are using you and they tell all manner of lies to get those people what? Discouraged and feeble-minded because when they're feeble-minded, you give up. And I wanna tell this church tonight, and I may not do a very go good job of preaching this message, but I wanna tell all of us tonight, we need to comfort those around us that are in a time of feeble-mindedness. They do not need to be kicked. They do not need to be talked about. They don't need to be stomped on. They don't need to be ridiculed or made fun of or made to be less than anything. They need to be comforted. The Bible strictly says, comfort the feeble-minded. And what God kind of did with me this week is, Reggie, you quit just reading over that. There are people you're pastoring that maybe going, are going through times and you, they, they would never admit that. I wouldn't admit, I, you think I want to get, say, folks, I just want to tell you I'm feeble-minded today. And you'd probably say, amen, you have been for a long time, you just didn't know it. The feeble-minded is, is not a pretty thing. We're not talking here about mental deficiencies. We've all got those. Somebody says, are you normal? No, nobody here is normal. <laughs> you know, really, be honest with you. We're all got the curse. None of us are smart, quite as smart as we think we are. None of us are quite as spiritually, mentally strong as we might think we are. Now the Bible does say to be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. The Bible says to put on the whole armor of God. Stand, having done all, stand, having your loins girded about with truth and so forth like that. And there's a lot of verses in the Bible on your mind. But let me just tell you something. The Bible said, he hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of a sound mind. Yeah. This is critical to me because I'm dealing with, and you're dealing with, and we're seeing across our nation, people that you would think would never do certain things. And you say, well, what happened there? What happened? I'm gonna say something to you tonight. Get this. <clears throat> Please hear me out. I preached a message years ago, a, a trilogy of messages, euthanasia, abortion, and suicide. It's been back in the 80s or 90s, a trilogy of. Let me tell you about suicide. You young people better watch yourself very carefully about being Satan gets you so broke down in your mind, you'll have thoughts you didn't think you could have. Adults, all of us, you think, well, I would never do that. You don't know what the devil throw at you. And I'm telling you something, learn to deal with feeble-mindedness like the Bible says here. So here's what we're gonna look at in chapter uh, 19. Let's begin reading. It came to pass after many uh, days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year and said, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter, forgive me. Chapter 19, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. 
Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, Let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She says, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. He just got through having this great victory. Yeah. Yeah. Tremendous victory. Yeah. And this woman, Jezebel, threatens him, and he starts running. You ask her, why? He just got through seeing the power of God, answered prayer. Fire came down from heaven. God answered with, God gave fire and rain to him in answer to prayer. And one person says to him, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. And he's just like blows out. If you'll think in your life, you've probably seen that. You've seen people you felt like, well, man, I, man, that seemed like they was a strong Christian and you know, everything was good. What happened? So we'll be looking at those things. Let's continue reading. He uh, saw that he went for his life, came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left a servant there. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And look what happens. He requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the man of God. And he came thither unto a cave, and lodged there and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. You're listening to a man who's become feeble minded. He said, go forth and stand before the, upon the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in peace the rocks for the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. I'd underline that if I were you in my Bible. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice on him and said, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel has forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, slain thy prophets with the sword. Sound to me like you've been listening to the news. Did you know something? You'll get feeble-minded if you don't read your Bible instead of listening to the news all day long. Because there is no hope in this news. And then he said this, I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Ab Abel Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. And yet, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plying with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he with the 12th and Elisha passed by and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, go back again for what have I done to thee? And returned back 
from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them, boiled their flesh in the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. And he arose and went after Elijah and ministered to him. <clears throat> Some things that I want to say, first of all, in dealing with feeble mindedness is uh, what brings it on? What causes a man to have or a person to have a feeble mind? First of all, let me say this to you. If you want to write it down, a few things might be helpful to you tonight when you become spiritually drained. Spiritually drained. I know an evangelist who's still living. Uh, he actually preached here uh, some of the early days of this church. And he, uh, he, he, he literally just kind of what, what went off the deep end. He got so, he, going from revival to revival to revival to revival and just and preaching and preaching and preaching and, and dealing with situations and so forth. And he just kind of just bailed out. Let me just tell you something. You can get spiritually drained if you pour yourself out and pour yourself out and pour yourself out and pour yourself. You better make sure you're getting poured into. You better make sure you're getting poured into, not just pour out. Let me just say something to you. A mother can do this. A daddy can do this. You just pour out and you pour out and you pour out and you pour out and you're not getting poured into and you can get so empty spiritually. If you're not careful, you come to church, you don't get anything because you're so empty, so poured out from the deal. The second thing is you can become emotionally drained. Facing Ahab, facing the Baal prophets, facing Jezebel, and you can get emotionally drained. You just like, I, I just, there's just too much going on. Just too much going on. I want to say something to you. There are people that are, we say it's got, they got a strong constitution or whatever it might be. Yeah, I understand that to a certain extent. But anybody can be subject to having a feeble mind, getting broken down by spiritual, being drained spiritually or being drained emotionally. And let me say to you, drained physically. I'm going to tell you the honest truth about me. I do pretty good as long as I feel good physically. But if I start feeling real bad physically, my spiritual strength and my spiritual vibrance seems to go down the drain. I, I know that's not good. And I hate to admit that. But just honest truth. If I, get, if I get physically drained out and I'm just physically out, it just seems like it affects me spiritually. Is anybody else like that? Anybody's like, oh, I'm not the only one. What makes me feel better already? Amen. But uh, he ran eight miles to Jezreel from Mount Carvel, uh, all that stuff. And I'm just saying the spiritual drainage can drain you out. This is, a, I'll just tell you the truth. I'm going to say something to you all. I don't, I don't know. Today's been a whole different day for me preaching. I don't know why it's been different. But so, some of you people don't know, you know people, it's so important for you to pray for me. Amen. What are you doing when you're praying for me? You're pouring back into me. Amen. It's so important just just your encouragement, your friendship, your support, your prayers. What are you doing? You're pouring back into me. I, 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 let me tell you something. I can't, I can't make it 40 or 41 years just in my own. And I'm not, I'm not discounting God about it at all. I'm just saying that God made it where we need each other to encourage and strengthen each other and help each other. Uh, Brother Coop, he just really always comes over and shakes my hand. I remember the Sunday he got saved. You know what? I always look at him and I, I think about it pays to serve God. Now he's got a son that's running a school. Amen. That's been 40 years. It was it not with 1982 when you got saved, Brother Coop? Down, down here at Oak Forest before we ever moved up here, he got saved down there. You know, and he, he comes over nearly every service and he just wants to encourage me. Amen. What's he doing? He's pouring into me. Amen. And if I just tell you the truth, you know what's wrong with a lot of pastors? You know why there's like 1,500 pastors a week that quits in America? Because they're just draining themselves out, not getting poured into themselves. That's why I listen to preachers. I listen to preaching. I'm going to get myself fed one way or another. I'll tell you that for sure. But if you're not careful, you'll get, you'll get spiritually drained out. 
That's why it's important to come to church. Let me tell you something. This, all this time here with mama sick and everything like that, I'm telling you something. I was like, I can't wait to get to church. I walk in this building and, and I get fellowship and start hearing the songs being sung. And I tell you, man alive, I just get strength. It's like the Holy Ghost just pours into my heart. Amen. And I get strength from it. Be careful about becoming spiritually drained. Be careful about becoming emotionally drained. You know, there's all kinds of stuff going on and disappointments and problems here and problems there and dealing here and people there and people there. And you know, and, and if you're not careful, you, hey, can I tell you something? You pour your love out and if you don't go, you know, get some emotional love poured back in you, you can get real empty emotionally. And the devil, then the devil walks up and says, people don't care, people don't like you. You know, you're wasting your time, you shouldn't, you shouldn't. And you, next thing you know, he's got you in a feeble-minded situation. And again, physically, you know, what can bring it on? Well, you're going to see it here in this passage of Scripture. What can bring on people's minds? Number one is feeling that everything hinges on you. Did you know what Elijah said? I alone remain. There ain't nobody else serving God. I'm the only one in the whole country that loves you and serves you. And when you think it all hinges, you know, he basically had got, somehow or another in his mind, he got to where it depends on me and I'm wore out. I'm shot. I'm going to say this to you. This thing of, uh, Sam, you guys might help me a little bit here, but they talk, what do they call it? Uh, shell, they used to call it shell shock. And now they call it PSTD, something like that, whatever it is, I don't know. But there's, it, then they called it a battle trauma. World War I, they didn't think much about it. World War II, they began to say, this is a real problem. By the time we got Vietnam and so forth, they realized there is a serious problem and so forth. Uh, Patton literally said in a statement in dealing with all this stuff, we used to shoot men like that. I think that's what churches do. Yeah. They shoot your feeble-minded. Yeah. 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 And it, you know, our Bible says to comfort them. Amen. You know, yesterday or, or Thursday, you know, people come by or, or I've gotten calls and comments and so forth and people, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss. I kept thinking about what Van told about, what was it? Who was the guy, Van, uh, Vance Havner? When they'd say, well, I'm sorry for your loss. And he would say, well, it's not lost if it's where it's supposed to be. You know, mama wasn't lost. She's in heaven. Amen. Amen. But it helps for people to pour their love into you. It's important to do that. And it's helpful to do that. when people say they care. Well, the feeling that everything hinges on you. You know, it doesn't all hinge on me. If I, listen, if I was sitting listening to the devil, he would tell me, well, Man, alive, you're, you know, you've got to take care of this. You, got, you know, years ago, I just gave to God. I said, God, it ain't my church, and I ain't building it. Amen. Amen. Was, he said, I will build my church. Right, right, right. And the day, I, the day I backed up and said, Lord, I ain't trying to build no, I'm not. And you, you, go, you, you young preachers, whatever you do, don't, don't, don't go to a preacher's conference and let them guys get up and tell you that you've got to win 15 people, Lord, every week, and you've got to blah, 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 and then make you feel like a heel if you don't. Amen. Amen. If God calls you to pastor 12 people, and you do what God's called you to do, that's a success. Amen? Amen? And you don't let people beat you down because you're not, quote, successful near. But if you're not careful, you just pour yourself out. So anyway, feeling like it all hinges on. This church does not hinge on me. Does it? Y'all got that, didn't you? Don't hinge on me. If you think it does, you're by yourself because I don't. I could die tomorrow. This is God's church. He is well able to take care of this place. It would be too much for me to hold on myself if I thought this all hinged on me. Yeah. Yeah. And then secondly, taking your focus off Christ. You know what happened to him? He got his focus on Jezebel instead of Jesus. 
you get your focus on your problems and the people in your life instead of Jesus Christ, it'll take you down in your mind. That's what Satan wants is you to think about the people that's causing you trouble. The people that hate you, the people that want to destroy you, the people that want to damage you, the people that want to tear up what you're doing. People that's opposing you, stabbing you in the back. He wants you to think about them all the time. When he got his eyes off of Christ and got his eyes on Jezebel, his mind went down. Get your mind back on Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, <coughs> expecting everybody and everything to approve of you and your actions or your beliefs. Everybody ain't going to agree with you. Everybody's not going to approve of what you do. Everybody, everybody's not going to understand what you're doing. They're not going to go why you're doing it. They don't know the background. They may not know the whole story. Uh, by the way, if you get a chance to listen to it, I might preach it Sunday. Cody Zorn, I've listened to about five messages, now, but he's got a new message out entitled... Um, uh, uh, something about, um, come on, Reggie, feeble-mindedness. Here it is. <laughs> the irritation of misinformation. Man alive, what a message it is about the Apostle Paul and how the Apostle Paul was lied on. Like, I never saw it in Scripture before. They lied on him like a dog. Yeah. They lied on him like a dog, plain and simple, three or four times in Acts chapter 21 and 22 right in there. They lied like crazy on him. And he talks about how the misinformation, a lot of times we don't really know the backdoor story. I've had people come up to me and say all kinds of stuff. I've got problems in my life. I've got problems with my family. But I'm going to tell you, most of you, you don't know the backdoor story. And I don't know your backdoor story either. Y'all may look at you and say, well, they got problems. I wish they'd get that fixed. I wish they'd get that taken care of. You don't always know the problem. You don't know the backdoor story. And if you're waiting for people to understand you and understand why you're doing what you're doing and why you stood where you stood and why you've held where you've held, you're, you, they're not going to understand. Right. Jesus was very misunderstood. Right. Very misunderstood. And you'll be misunderstood. And people, I'm your pastor. I can't second guess you. I'm not trying to, I have no business trying to pick out, you know, I'm just saying this to you, that you expect everybody and everything to approve of you, you're going to be sadly disappointed. <coughs> I mean, just be honest about it. In church life, I, I, I tell you what I'd like you to do. You preach 40 years, two or three times a week. See how many, see, see how many people you can make happy eventually. I mean, you cannot preach this Bible without people disapproving, getting ticked off. You know, I've had people literally, I tell them, man, I've had people walk straight up to me after the message and get in my face and tell me you was preaching straight at me. I know. <laughs> I'm honest with you. I don't do that. I don't try to do that. That's why I don't want to know anything about you. That's why I don't convince you. <laughs> Part of the reason, it's not all the reason. Part of it is I just don't love you enough. <laughs> But I'm just saying, we don't always know everything that's going on. And if we try to second guess everything, it's just going to cause us to be so messed up in our mind. Another thing is, is lying fear to control you. What got a hold of him? What made him feeble-minded? He ran for his life. He got afraid. And when Satan starts shooting those arrows of fear into you, right. he'll shoot that stuff of, you think you've got to be approved of, you think everybody's got to like, everybody's got to understand what's going on. Truth about it is, you don't understand everything going on. There's things happening in your life. You're saying, God, I don't understand what's happening. Why is it like it is? I thought this and I thought that, but it ain't turning out that way. 
And if you start letting that stuff, what, what if you've done, the, if you've done what you know as best you know, what God asked you to do and the way God told you to go, leave it there. Quit second guessing yourself. Amen. Quit second guessing yourself. Quit se you know, well, maybe you did make the wrong turn. Well, if you did, you know what that, how many's got that little lady that talks to you on the phone? What do they call that stuff that, huh? What do you call that stuff? Yeah, GPS, whatever it is, it's you got this phone, right? And you type in where you want to go and you turned off somewhere and it starts talking, go this and trying to get you back on, right? Well, it's about that way spiritually sometimes. Sometimes you're going to take a wrong turn or get off the road for something and, and, and it's going to take you a while to get back. <laughs> but if you're not careful, Satan will just have you feel mine. Let, I better keep rolling. So you don't let fear control you. And here's a big one. Loneliness. Twice he says to God, I and I alone. You know, you can be in a crowd and feel like you're all alone. You can be in your house and you feel like you're all alone. You can have five brothers and six sisters and you still think you're alone. And nobody really understands and nobody really cares what's going on in my life. If you're not careful, you start getting feeble minded. You say, what's the evidence of feeble minded? Well, depression, discouragement, no joy, no praise. You just kind of, how many remember the story I told about Tippy the bird? Anybody remember that in here? Oh, Tippy. You know what happened to Tippy, don't you? She was sitting up in her little cage, tweet, 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 tweet. And her owner decided that she needed to clean the cage up. So she takes her vacuum cleaner, opens up the cage, and she's vacuuming out Tippy's cage. And the phone rings. And so she reaches over to get the phone, and when she does, the vacuum deal kind of went like that, sucked Tippy right down through the vacuum cleaner. She realized what happened. She says, oh, my Lord, am I, oh, she just goes into fits, and Tippy's down through the vacuum cleaner somewhere. She opens up the vacuum cleaner, and there's Tippy. <laughs> dust everywhere on him. <laughs> so in her loving care, she runs him over to the sink. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Turns it on full blast, puts Tippy to wash the dust off of her. By the time she's done, Tippy's going. <laughs> then she realizes she's made a grave mistake. She goes and gets her hot brush. Turns it full blast, high hot. Puts it on Tiffy. <laughs> Trying to drive Tiffy out. A news, reporter, a news reporter heard about it. Called her up and said, how's Tiffy doing? Well, she said, Tiffy just kind of sits in the cage looking out like she doesn't know what's going on in this world anymore. Tiffy got blowed out, <laughs> washed out and burned out. And Tippy just, can I tell you, I've seen people sitting in church like that. It's like they're there, but they're not. Amen. They've lost a spouse. They've had a spouse leave them. Their children went astray. Finances fell apart. Lost everything they worked for. You know, I was in the auction business 47 years, and when you sit down at people's table, and they're 65 and 70 years old, and they tell you, Reggie, we've lost everything we ever worked for. And they're just kind of sitting there looking at you. 
Life can be rough and it can cause you to become feeble-minded and you walk into church and you live your life and you're just going from night to day, from night to day. I talked to a man at the graveside Thursday. I said, how you doing? He said, listen to me. He said, I go to work and I go home. I go to work and I go home. I go to work and I go home. That's my life. Feeble-minded. Life, and he's had some terrible, terrible hits. Bad hits. You may have children that your spouse went to court and you can't even see them. Took the kids away from you. Allowing fear to control you. Allowing a sense of the cloud of loneliness to circle you. And then number six, allowing self-pity to rule you. He got to feeling sorry for himself. And I'm going to tell you something. The pity party is not going to help you. Don't, don't have a pity party. You're not the first one who went through bad things in life. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that you can't grieve. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying if you're going to go into a mode of self-pity, you're going to go nowhere. You're just going to go down the mud. Everybody, everybody goes through things. It'll all, all this stuff will cause you to become feeble-minded. And, and Satan just driving you down just like just driving a post in the ground. Also, severe highs followed by deep lows. Be careful about that. People want to go to church and have a big high. If they're not careful, they no more got home and something hit them, drive them straight down. It's a lot better to run steady than it is super high and super low on a, on a mental and spiritual roller coaster all the time. Don't let things get, don't get too excited when it's all going good. Don't get depressed when it all ain't going good. Just run steady. Moving without God's direction and approval. God never told him to run from Jezebel. I've always wondered what would have happened if he had said, Jezebel, help yourself. God's on my side. But he ran. Be careful about moving without God's direction. What will happen sometimes, all these bad things, quote, are happening. And it's spooking you into making moves that God never told you to make. <clears throat> I'll just like say this different kind of preaching. I don't know. I ain't charging for it tonight. I ain't going to cost you much. If you're tired of this picture show, you can go home. You listen to me. If I'd have let that stuff bother me, I'd have been gone the second year I started preaching. You cannot let that stuff take you up. You, can't, you, you cannot do that. You can't move without God's direction. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'd say probably at least 500,000 times I have went home, got the atlas, looked out, Idaho, Montana, where's some place where nobody's at? I want to be, a, I want to really serve God. <laughs> but I have never to this day has God ever said, I want you to go. You know, just stick it out. There's been times, I mean, I just, I'm not I'm telling you, times when I personally had failed, I didn't want to come to church. Now, I did leave for a year and a half in evangelism, and I do believe God had me on that. But that was for my, I needed, I needed some work on God on my life. But I'm talking about, I'm just talking about it in the general sense since then. Never has God said, yeah, you can, you can go. I want, you, I want you to leave. 
Never has told me that. There's been times when it's awful hard for me to walk in that building through these doors. How many's ever had a hard time walking through the front doors? But I'm going to tell you something. Learn this. Learn this good. Don't you ever leave unless God takes you out of here. Amen. I'm telling you, you'll miss, you'll miss what God would have done. Amen. When I think, Brother Danny, what I'd have missed. Now, there'll be a time when I'm going to leave. I guarantee you, God will either take me out early or he'll, I'll die and he'll take me out of the world. But until he, Elijah should not have went a direction without God telling him where to go and what to do. Maybe people might end. Another thing is not casting down imaginations. He had, his mind was running wild. His mind was running wild with lies that Satan had told him. And also, if you look at present circumstances rather than the long-term plan of God, it'll make you feeble-minded. And let me say this in here to you. When it seems like evil is triumphing and good is failing, it can cause you to become feeble-minded. I really believe this is what Satan is trying to do to this nation right now, to God's people, is fill us with so much junk in our minds about how bad it is to make us, to make us just like... There's no hope left in this country. It's not about this country. Can I tell you that? Yeah. It's about Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So anyway, those are things that, that uh, you do. Now you say, Reggie, what to do when you're down? Let's get this and try to be quick. Number one, come apart and rest a while. You get feeble-minded, come apart and rest a while. When John the Baptist's head was, was beheaded, what did Jesus tell his disciples to do? Come apart and rest a while. Vance Havner said, if you don't come apart, if you don't come apart, you'll come apart. I'm going to tell you this is honest truth. If I have any secret to longevity in the ministry, let me tell you what it is. It doesn't bother me a bit in the world to lay everything down and take a hike in the woods. There have been many, many times when I just knew that I, I'll be honest with you, the other day when my mother passed away, I didn't, I, I, I just, it was just like, I need to, I need to go somewhere and get alone. And that's just what I do. I want to get with God. I have to. And I, and I just lay everything aside. I'm going to get with God. Sometimes you need to just take your Bible, go out somewhere and just read your Bible. But you need to come apart and rest yourself. I'm telling you, Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm telling you something. It's not pills we need. It's rest in Jesus we need. And as you rest in Jesus, hey, I'll tell you something else. I went through several year period of depression. Most people in this church don't know it. I don't even know how I made it in and out of this pulpit for about four or five years. It seemed like God would give, when I walked in this parking lot, God would give me grace. I'd get my, my truck, down I'd go again. And, and you know, it just, it's just something I had to go through. And God took me through it. But I'm telling you this, one of the things I learned to do was, was lay everything aside. Don't let phone calls rule me. Don't let people rule me. Get along with God. And take care of the rest of it later. There's things, do not let people put demands on you that are going to just keep you from getting the rest and the restrengthening that you need. Then the next thing is arise. God told him to get up. Now, let me just tell you something right now. There's a time for rest and there's a time for refreshment, but there's also a time to get up and get to work. How many knows that if you get to work and get your mind busy and your body busy, you won't have near as much time to think about all that stupid stuff? Another thing is to serve people. Do you know how Karen has endured 47 years of marriage, 46 years of marriage? She goes and does stuff. She goes out in the yard and works. <laughs> Go see people. 
I'm telling you, keep yourself, I'm not I'm talking about being so busy that the barrenness of a busy life. I'm talking about don't sit around in a chair, morbid, and just complaining and feeling sorry for yourself and how bad your life's been. That's a dangerous thing to do. But it's a sign that you become feeble-minded. Make yourself useful to people. Serve the Lord. Serve people. I'm just being honest with you. At this stage in my life, I told a man there at the funeral who's talking to me, the same man who told me that, hey, he said, I should go to work. Come on, go to work. Come on. I said, listen, I'm 70 years old. I am telling you that the ministry gives me reason for living. The ministry gives me a purpose to get up. I'm, it keeps my life a meaningful, eternal purpose. Serving God will give you purpose in life. And I'm telling you, he said, rise. I'm saying to you, get out of bed. Worst thing you can do is keep the shades pulled down, the lights off, dim, pull the shades back, paint your walls yellow. <laughs> get some bright going on. Shut stupid stuff off. Put on some good, godly, wholesome music. Get to thinking about good things and make a difference. Rise, get out of bed, get to work, be useful, be productive. Then um, he God told him to eat. You look down there, God, and by the way, don't you love this? Look at verse number five. As he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, an angel came and kicked him in the side of the ribs <laughs> and said, you sorry, low down prophet. You're worthless to God anymore. <laughs> get out and get busy for God. That ain't what God told him. That's one of the most gentle scenes you've ever seen. Go back to the New Testament. Comfort the feeble-minded. What did angel do? Look, angel touched him. Just, hey, hey, touched him. Gentleness, comfort. Elijah, it's all right. God's still God. God wants you and I to comfort. You know what? I don't know how to comfort people very well. Repent. Your problem is sin. <laughs> you know better than that. Get up and do right. Get on down the road. That don't always what people need. And that's why some of you have the gift of comforting. You're able to put your arm on their shoulder and say, hey, we're less loved. We just want you to know we love you. That's why we need all of you. Everybody needs, we need each other. Well, he said, uh, he said, eat. Look at there. He said, uh, he said, arise, first of all, get up. And he said, eat. What does it mean? Eat the word of God. Now the, the application is you're going to have to feed on the word of God. When I have people call me and I do out of state across the country, Reg, I tell them I'm going through this, this, what's happened, this, what, you know what I tell them? I, I give them, I give them a prescription. I have a prescriptions that I give people. They're scriptural reading prescriptions. And I tell them, if you'll do this, the medicine will help you. If you don't do it, it won't help you. If you don't take the medicine, it won't help you. And one of the first things I tell them to do is read 10 chapters of Psalms every day for a month. That'll get you clear through Psalms. Take your pen and a, and a notebook. Mark every verse that means something to you and, ask, and just whisper a prayer. God, speak to me today. And you read that and then I take them to Philippians. I have them read Philippians for a week. The book of Philippians. Uh, don't ask me why. And then sometimes I'll go, sometimes rather than that, I'll go to First John, but I give them a prescription. You've got to eat. You've got to eat. You quit eating, you're going, you're going to be in trouble. You may have to force feed yourself, but you've got to eat. You've got to read the Bible. I'll tell you, last night, I turned the tape on, the Bible tape on. It's the best way in the world to go to sleep. But I'm telling you, I need, I need it. The more I preach, the more Bible I need. 
So then drink. He said, rise. He said, arise. And anyway, he down in verse number six and drink water, water of the word of God. Drink in the word of God. Drink in the word of God. Listen to good preaching. Listen to the word of God being read. Drink it in. Drink it in. Drink it in. From the word of God. Realize next that the journey's too great for you. You can't make it on your own. You know what? Part of it is about is God letting you just find out you ain't got. I am weak, but He is strong. Remember, God is kindly affection toward you. Don't let the devil tell you that God's beating you up. You say, well, I'm getting whooped all over the farm. Well, maybe you are. God still loves you. God's still affectionate. Realize God's presence and protection in your life. Elijah hadn't got where God couldn't take care of him. And then also let God draw you out of your cave of discouragement. He went into a cave. There's things you can learn inside a cave, but there's a time to come out. Anybody ever seen anybody get in a cave? Can you listen to me? I've seen teenagers get in a cave. They're just living in a cave. Dark world. Mamas can get in caves. Daddies can get in caves. Let God draw you out of that cave into fellowship with him. Get back into fellowship. Best thing you do, I'm going to tell you what, if you had a bad week, best thing you do is get here early, go to that altar or that old prayer bench, get on your knees and say, God, I've come to worship you and get your Bible open, get up here and sing and say, I'm going to praise God. I don't care how bad it is. Best thing you can do. The very worst day that you have in Satan's you say, we just cannot go to church today. We're not going to church today. That's the day you need to go the worst. Amen. I'm telling you right now, I, that's, that's life experience for me, and I know it's true. And by the way, get over the eye disease. If you look at verse number 10, and I believe verse number 14, did you know those verses are full of eyes? Eye this, and eye that, and eye this, and eye that, and eye this, and eye that. His life had become all about his problems. Get over your eye, eye disease. Man alive, people are people's out there that needs help and hope and comfort and a smile. And again, get, get out of that cave. Get out of that cave. Well, uh, here's the big one, I think. That still small voice. Quit looking for the wind. Quit looking for the fire and the big storm. Just let God speak to you. You say, Reggie, you really believe that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I believe God can speak to you today. I, I believe in that. I believe that still small voice can still speak to your heart and comfort you in the Lord. And then finally, return. In verse number 15, God said, Elijah, we're not done. Now, here's what I want to tell you, and then get this. You may go through a time of feeble-mindedness, but on the other side, that's some of the greatest work God's ever going to have in your life. And he did some of the greatest things of his ministry after all this was over with. Do not let Satan tell you that it's over for you. It's not. There's, there's a brighter day coming. And um, God wants to help you. I hope tonight, maybe somehow know this might help you. In the movie Sheffy, which is my favorite movie in the world, I've said this before, but I, it, one of the things I love about that movie, it shows him when he got feeble-minded. Anybody remember when it was? Huh? Grave. Exactly right. Wife gone camp, all that stuff. Everything was blowing out of his life. Everything he, remember what he said? Everything I've ever, ever loved and ever wanted to do is gone. And he stood there and he said, have I been right? You know what he was dealing with right there? That feeble mindedness. 
feeble mindedness. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Gird up the loins of your mind. Don't let them sag. Remember his promises. God's never going to leave you nor forsake you. He's going to keep every promise he ever made to you. He's going to take care of you. And if you're feeble, just sleep, rest, eat. I want to go back and we're going to dismiss, but look at this at verse number five. As he lay and slept under the juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake. That's where we get angels' food cake from. It's the truth. That's why they call it angel food cake. Angel made him a cake. Isn't that neat? That's not my version. That's in the Bible. An angel made him a cake. It was angel food cake. Anyway, <laughs> I got these looks like. And he looked and behold, and there was verse number six, a cake baking on the coals, a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink. And I want you to look what he did. What do you do? Lay him down again. You may have been through a traumatic, hard time in your life. Rough things. Just rest in the Lord. Don't let Satan beat you into a feeble mind. Just rest. Verse number seven, the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. I think that was God comforting the feeble minded. He was comforting the feeble mind. I hope this message helped you tonight. I, I, tell you, I like to preach loud and get going and seem like God just said, no, we ain't doing that. But I hope it helps you. I hope it helps you. you, know, you feel like you just, man, life, it, it, life can circle in on you, boy, like it did Elijah. It really can. Well, it's 8.09 and I think we ought to go home and worry and fret and fear and I'll let us stand and be dismissed. I've aggravated you to death.